0: morning john chapter 10 verse 10 i'm not going to preach on this but it's an interesting statement we all know this one we've we've seen this countless times we've heard it preached we've seen it interpreted and dissected and ripped apart and thrown back at us john ten ten says this the thief comes to do nothing but steal kill and destroy but i've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly what a fantastic statement. What an interesting statement. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. But it doesn't stop there. I'm not just saying life. I'm going to go a step further and tell you that it's about a certain quality of that life. Is everyone parting because I've got this amazing anointing and I'm going to audit the eight air conditioners? It's the air conditioners, right, I thought so. <laughs> I thought for a minute, is someone chasing me? Am I going to need to run through there? And then you guys will all come back in and protect me? Yeah, call, me okay. call me Mo. Call me Mo. <laughs> thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The New Living Translation puts it this way it says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Over the next few weeks, I want to have a look at this issue of life. What is life? What exactly is this thing that the Bible refers to as life, that we refer to as life? I think because we live, we just make the practical assumption that this is what life is. You know, when Jesus made this statement, he was talking to people that had jobs. He was talking to people that had families. More importantly, he was talking to people that were breathing oxygen and had blood flowing through their veins. In essence, Jesus was talking to people who were, for all intents and purposes, living. Yet he looked them in the eye and he said, I've come to give you life. I mean, it'd be okay, the old stories we've heard of Smith Wigglesworth, where he, you know, I've heard a a, a couple of, of stories over the years of him walking into funeral homes and picking up a dead body and jamming him up against the wall and saying, you're not dead, walk. And he let go and this dead body fell to the ground. Personally, I wouldn't have grabbed the body in the first place. That's just me. But Smith Wigglesworth, as the story goes, picked up this body and threw it again. When the body fell to the ground, he picked it up a second time. And he jammed it up against the wall and said... You're not dead. You're alive. Get up and walk. And he let go. And the body fell to the ground again. By this stage, honestly, who's, who's still going? Honestly. Who, who's even still standing in the, in the funeral parlor? By that stage, I'm laying in the coffin myself going, take me, take me, take me. This was a dumb idea, wasn't it? But not Smith. As the story goes, he grabbed this body a third time. He picked it up, he jammed him up against the wall and said with all aggression and authority, I told you to walk. And he let go and this dead person started walking and came back to life. So I could understand, it's a miracle, it's an amazing story. By the way, this stuff is not just in the past. You know, there are, are stories now all around the world of Jesus physically raising people from the dead in countries like China and the Middle East, even in Australia, there you go. There are, Jesus is still doing things. God still does miracles. But I can understand if this statement was made while Jesus stood at Lazarus' tomb. The thief comes to sit, but I've come to give you life. And he's speaking to Lazarus. But he's not. He's speaking to people who for all intents and purposes are actually alive. So he can't simply mean, I've come to give you blood in your veins and oxygen in your lungs. There's a different dimension to the life that he's talking about that he wants to give to us that these people perhaps did not have at the time. So, being the inquisitive sort of guy I am, I've spent a bit of time researching, and this is not just for this message, but over a long period of time, researching this whole issue of life. So, well, what, what is life? <laughs> what is life? You know, biologists themselves will say it's impossible to completely quantify and give you a, a 100% answer as to what this thing is called life. I, 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 I When I first started looking into this, I, I did what all us good believers do. I went to the source of all truth, Google, and I typed in what is life. And up came all these medical journals, and I, I spent a lot of time sifting through all these medical journals and reading about Trying to get an idea. So, well, what exactly, how can I summarise life in a, in a phrase, in a sentence? And biology, um, itself and biologists and all these writers are all saying it's too hard to quantify. The best they can do is come up with a few characteristics of living things. And so they've come up with a list of characteristics of living things. The first characteristic of living things is that living things need energy. To be a living thing, you need energy. Perhaps that's A part of what Jesus meant when he said to these breathing people, I've come to give you life. There's an energy that we get from God that's another dimension to life that without God, we don't experience that. Maybe that's a bit of what he was saying when he said, I've come to give you life. That God-given energy, that life of the Spirit that flows into our veins, that gives us a different dimension to life that people without God don't have at this present time. They have life, but they obviously don't have what Jesus came to give if they haven't taken him on board yet. <laughs> the second characteristic of living things was living things grow and develop. To be classified by biologists as something living, you must, it must be a, something that grows and develops. So maybe there's an element in, in Christ where that, that part of it, spiritually speaking, is true as well. That we must be growing in the spiritual side of life Keep in mind, again, it must be something that all those people standing there living, breathing, didn't have. So perhaps it's the spiritual side of life growing and developing in that realm. Growing and developing on your spiritual man, your spiritual woman. Allowing our spirit to to raise up. Keep in mind, you go back to the beginning of creation and God fashioned man out of the dust and he made a body and the body was made and and finished. But it wasn't moving until God... Breathe spirit into that body. So God breathed into that and gave his spirit to that being. Then life came. And so maybe there's an element where Jesus was talking a bit about that. The third characteristic of living things, living things respond to their surrounding. So to be classified biologist as a living thing, you must have the ability to respond to your surrounding. And maybe again, part of what Jesus was saying was that, how many of you know there's this natural world you can see, taste, touch, hear, smell, feel? It's not the only thing going on. There's a dimension beyond this natural world. There's a spiritual dimension. As expirely as it may sound, it's true. But without the Spirit of God, without our spirit coming alive and joining with God's Spirit, it's hard to detect that and to understand that realm. I believe all people have have connections and, and experience the spiritual realm at times. You ask people, they'll tell you, oh, I went to the toilet the other night and all the lights off and all the hair stood up on the back of my neck. Why did the hair stand up on the back of your neck? That's not normal, you know? Maybe there was something going on in another realm because in the natural, nobody was there. There was nothing happening, nothing weird, no weird noises, no cricket. Just I've spoken to a lot of people that don't have a relationship with God that could tell you about weird Experiences they've had that they can't define in this see, taste, touch, feel, smell world of theirs. So maybe a little bit of what Christ was saying was that, was that, 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 that that spiritual side needs to be alive and it needs to be growing and developing, not just come to faith in Christ and that's it. You know what? There are, there are so much more to develop. We need to grow in our spiritual senses, in our spiritual understanding. The fourth characteristic of living things was that living things reproduce. So in order to be classified by biologists, I keep saying classified biologists, I'm slipping on the by. In order to be classified as a living thing by biologists, you must have the ability to reproduce. I think that makes perfect sense in a spiritual way. You know? I'm called to go into all the world and make disciples. To reproduce who I am, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they were created. Look after the garden, tend it, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. There was something of reproduction in their DNA and there's, it's something that God wants. God wants his people, those that are connected to him, to reproduce, to fill the earth, subdue it. In the modern context, that would be the church. We should be reproducing, filling the earth, subduing it. So the glory of the Lord covers the waters, of the earth, the, the world. So there were four characteristics that I found in all these different science and biology journals that I went to. These four characteristics. But they're only characteristics of living things. But how many of you know those four characteristics are still no guarantee of life? Not the life God's talking about. There's an unfortunate truth that we all live with, and it's this. Everybody who lives will die. But not everybody who dies will have actually lived. Everyone who lives and breathes there on this planet will die. But when they get to the end, will those who are dying ever have actually lived on this planet the way God intended (laughs) us to do? So while I think life is hard to quantify in terms of what it is, what we can do is look into what are some of the key elements to help us move from the realm of simple existence into the realm of life. What are some of the things that can take us from simply existing on planet Earth and move us into this realm, this thing that Jesus was talking about when he said the thief comes to... I come to give you life and give you abundant life. In other words, give you a quality of life that is above and beyond the quality of life that people have that don't have my spirit dwelling inside of them. Now, it's not the obvious one. It can't be money. It can't be uh, uh, popularity and fame. It can't be all the things that the media and the advertising world tell us every day you have to have. And, you know, if you get on matchmaker.com and if you just find that right person, you will have life. You will be happy. If you just buy this latest car, if you just find the perfect church, if you just find the perfect this, and, and people jump and swap and change jobs and change partners and all to try to find life. It can't be in any of those things because people without the Spirit of God have Those things, you know. Those things can add to and make our existence on planet Earth more comfortable. And if you have an option between being rich and being poor, let me encourage you, be rich. It's better. If you have an option between, you know, having this or having that, take the better road. it's, It's better. Nothing wrong with it. But what Jesus was talking about can't have just been material things. So, In order to try to get a biblical look at what is life, how can we quantify life, I eventually went to the ultimate source of truth, the Bible, and dug a few things out of there. And Over the next few weeks, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that I found as I dug around in the Bible. Things that, to me, I believe, take us to that place and quality of life that Jesus was talking about. Take us to a place where God wants us to be in terms of our life, okay? So anyone seen that, that ad a few years ago? There was an ad on TV and there was a little boy and he was the voiceover was this little boy talking about when I grow up I want to play soccer for the Socceroos and I want to be the goal kicker and I want to... While the voiceover's going on, there's a picture of an 18-year-old kid. He's overdosed on drugs, he's all blue and dead and the ambulance is there and they're slowly zipping up his body. Anyone remember that ad? only a handful of years ago. Here's this young boy with his whole life ahead of him, saying, this is what I want my life to look like. This is what I want for my future. The implication as they zip up that bag is somewhere along the line, this boy made some bad choices. This boy made some bad choices. And it didn't matter what he wanted, what his intentions were. It didn't matter about his intentions. What mattered at the end of the day was the choices that he made to get to where he was. And the first thing I see in the word of God that I believe adds to the quality of life God wants is choices. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. In verse 19. There's this again. You've all heard this scripture a billion times. Deuteronomy 30:19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. But I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose choose life. That both you and your descendants may live <laughs> forever. I, every time I read this passage I get this picture of like God like a game show host. I don't know if it's blasphemous or what, but it's just the first picture that comes to my mind. And here he is and he's saying, over here, I give you life and blessing and happiness and peace. And and over here behind this door, we have death and cursing and, and it's up to you. What choice will you make? It's your choice. And then he gives away the answer by saying, by the way, choose life. By the way, choose life. It's better. He gives away the answer. And I can picture God almost there with Israel going, here's two options. Here's a bunch of choices that you are going to have to make from this day forward. And those choices are going to have a big impact on whether you reach a point of death or whether you reach a point of life. Keep in mind again, God is talking to people who eventually will die. They will physically die. So he's not just talking about physical life And physical death. He's talking about a quality of existence. And he's offering them, this is one quality of existence over here, and if you make these choices, this is what you can have. And here's another one over here, and if you make these choices, this is what you're going to have. And he lays it out for them. How many of you know that birth carries no guarantee of life? It's just the opportunity to have one. And whether we have one or we don't, will largely be determined by the choices that we make here, this side of heaven. There's a few things in that passage that I want to talk about and then over the next few weeks I want to move on to the more specifics about choices and then we've got a few other things we want to look at. The first thing that, that stands out in that passage for me is that you have options. You actually have options. No matter what situation you are in, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, you have options. Do you believe that? Think about the worst situation you're going through right now. You are not a victim. You have options. God will make sure that there are options. They might not look great, but there will be options and alternative ways to do whatever it is that you are doing right now. God says, I have set before you. I have set this before you. I have set before you the ability to choose the options, different things that you can do. You know, I, I was I was talking to a girl this week. Um, won't go into details, but she was distraught. She broke down. She was bawling in front of me. And she's in a relationship that's terrible. It's a terrible relationship. She's been with this particular person for a while now. He is abusive, he is aggressive. She's 21 years of age. She's got a whole life ahead of her. And I've seen her and the impact of this relationship for a while. And I've held back and not said too much because I'm, we're friends and but, but we're just sort of friends and I don't want to overstep and, and, and push anything on her. But it got to a point this week where something in me just rose up and I thought I can't sit by anymore and watch you going through the pain that you're going through. So I pulled her aside, I, I, I got her away from this group of people that we were with at the time and I sat her down. And I said this, I said, look, I see you like a little sister to she's not my sister, but I said, I look at you like a sister, and I'm going to talk to you right now, like I would my little sister, my actual sister, if she was going through what you were going through right now. So I said, is that okay? And she said, yeah. And so I asked her a few questions about her future, what do you want, you're 21 years of age. What do you want your future to look like? What do you want to be? What do you want to achieve? What sort of person do you want to be? Because I'm watching this girl die daily. She's not the person now she was two years ago when she entered into this relationship. It's wonderful. It's terrible. It's like watching a person die in front of you and and, and realising you can't do anything about it. They have to. They have to. And I said to her, do you realise that you have... Options. You have choices. Firstly, you don't have to stay in this relationship. You don't have to. Nobody is making you stay in this relationship. You can get out of it. You can. It might be a painful process, and here's the reality. I said, you've got in front of you, but she then began to tell me how she loves him and blah, 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 all this stuff. I said, well, here's the situation. You have two options. Both option is going to cause you pain. It doesn't matter which option you choose, they will both cause pain. The question for you is which pain is the one that you feel like you can endure and which is the pain that you can't. You can stay with this guy for the rest of your life and be treated like this and die on the inside and that's one pain and that pain could go on for 20, 30, 50, 60 years. Who knows? And then over here is the option of leaving. Now you feel like you love him, you've got a connection with him. Fantastic, I'm not questioning that. And it would be painful to walk away from him. I'm not questioning the pain of that. But which pain is going to be shorter, live? Which pain is the one that at the end of it can reproduce life again? And which one just keeps perpetuating death? You see, the minute we get ourselves into a rut in life and we feel like in any situation we don't have options, we then begin to operate out of a victim mentality. We are not victims. We are not victims. My life is here today as a result of some things that happened, and we talked about this last week, things that happened that I had no control over. But you know what I did have? I did have the ability to choose my responses to each of those things. I had that power of choice. I had that power of choice and so do you. God sets before us options and we need to understand in life, we always have options. We always do. Don't ever think you're powerless. As soon as you think you're powerless, you're handing the reins of your life over to somebody else or something else and saying, you lead me, you God, you take me to the destiny that you have for me. We have choices and we have options. And some of those choices may cause pain, but which pain is going to be the greater pain? But we do have options. The second thing I see in that verse is God wants us to choose life. You know, God wants you to choose life. That one phrase right there sums up so much about the character and the nature of God in that one verse. I'm setting before you life and death, blessing to choose life. Those two words tell me so much about the character of my Heavenly Father, it's not funny. He wants me to choose life. He wants me to live a blessed existence. Don't interpret the word blessed as 15 houses and 20 cars and a billion dollars. But if that's what God has for you, then interpret it that way. No matter which way you want to look at it, there's a quality of life called blessed. And God wants us to make the choices in our life that will lead us to that place where that blessing can flow and overtake us. It's the will, the character and the nature of God that we would be blessed. He wants us to be blessed. Psalm 67 verse 1 and 2 says this, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation in the nations. Why does God want to bless you? Because people see the blessing on you and it glorifies God. Why did God want Israel as a nation to be blessed? He wanted them to do what he was asking them to do, follow in the footsteps of God, live their life in every area the way God wanted them to. When they did that, it created a channel of blessing to flow down upon them as a nation. And the desire of God was that the other nations of the earth would look at Israel and go, well, wow, we need to follow their God because our gods don't bless us like that. Our gods don't look after us like that. Our gods don't provide us what these guys get provided and so on. God wanted a blessed nation so that other nations of the earth would look and glorify God and say, this is the one true God. Yeah, we've got this silly question now in modern man. where we are, yeah, The question that we ask is, does God exist? Yeah, how many of you know that's actually a modern man question? You go back 100 years and, 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 and right back from there... The question of God, the question was never, does God exist? The question was, who is the most powerful God, therefore worthy of our worship? That was the question. This question we have now of does God exist, it's a modern man thing. It hasn't always been the case. For most of human history, the question has been, which God is the most powerful, therefore worthy of our worship? And this is what God was saying to Israel make these right choices, these life giving choices because I want to bless you it's my desire to bless you I want to bless you I want you to have peace and joy I want you to be provided for I want you to be looked after because when people know who you serve they know the God and they know how that God looks after you it glorifies God it glorifies your father who is in heaven God wants us to be blessed because he wants the nations of the earth to see this is what it looks like when you sell yourself out to Jesus this is the peace that you can live with in the midst of a tumultuous world if you sell yourself out to Jesus. This is the, the, the life you can have. This is the joy you can have if you sell yourself out to my God, Jesus Christ. You see, every choice we make, whether we realise it or not, every choice pushes us towards life or pushes us towards death in that particular realm of life where that choice is made. Every choice. Don't ever think that your choice is just... You make them now and they stop you. Every choice has a ramification for you somewhere down the track of pointing you towards life, pointing you towards death. You're going to go up the back at morning tea and you're going to have a choice a piece of fruit or a bit of chocolate cake. They will both have consequences and ramifications on you somewhere down the track. Be warned, people, be warned. It doesn't just stop there. That's why, Barry, I was so flummoxed this morning. That, that you, you, you didn't straight away jump up. I thought, I'm just sitting here thinking what I'm preaching done. That is a death-giving choice right there, Barry. You should have just straight away jumped up. But, obviously it's worked out for you guys, you know. But, um, <laughs> man, that's a tip for you men. You, you be quick with that stuff, alright? You, you, you acknowledge the birthdays and, how many of you know too, by the way, that if your wife comes to you or maybe husbands do this, I don't know, um, with a new dress or a new perfume or something and do you like this, is this pretty? Going, yeah, that is the wrong answer. That is a death-producing answer right there. You don't just go, yeah, that is not what they're looking for. That is pushing you down a path that you don't want to go down. Okay, the direct, the proper answer is to engage. Really, that's amazing. I remember one time Jackie came out with a dress. she just bought a dress some years ago. And she held it up in the kitchen and she said, do you like this dress? And straight away, I heard the Lord say, I lay before you, blessing and cursing, death and life. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it clear as a bell in my ears. I knew, God, this is a moment in time. This is a make or break. This choice will have eternal ramifications for me. What must I do, Lord? And I prayed and I sought heaven and I got wisdom in a moment. And I said, just put it down on the bench there and just step away for a bit. And she did, took a step away. And I went, can you just take another couple of steps away, please, Dale? She took another couple of steps and I had a little look and I said, no, Jack, can you just hop over the other side of the room? By this stage, she's sort of walked over the other side of the room, stood there. I looked at the dress. And I went, you know what, that's actually a really lovely dress. And she came out and goes, well, why did you have to make me... I said, because putting that dress next to you made the dress look like a pile of rubbish. <laughs> that was a life-giving moment right there. <laughs> Pushed me in the right direction. I've been reaping the rewards ever since. Four kids later, woo! <laughs> You know, there's this silly example that we have of, of faith, and we've probably all heard it at altar calls. And I know when I got... Saved when I was about 19. There were a lot of people saying this at churches, and you know, just give the driver's seat. Get out of the driver's seat and let Jesus take the driver's seat of of your life. Anyone ever heard that that terminology? I know what they're trying to say, but you know what? It's a very bad choice of picture. You know, you never get out of the driver's seat. Jesus doesn't jump in and take control. He says, You make the choices. I'm going to lay out the options before you. You make the choices. I'm not going to make you go to church. You make the choice. I'm not going to make you give. You make the choice. I'm not going to make you pray. Make the choice. I'm not going to make you love your enemies. Make the choice. Because God wants us to work together. Our life is a co-working. God will not. And if anything is making you do things, that's called possession. And we'll talk about that another time. God involves Himself in our world, but He never takes control. He gave us the gift of life and He gave us the gift of free will. And He won't take that away from us. The third thing that I want to mention out of that passage that stands out to me is that today's destinations determine tomorrow's, today's decisions determine tomorrow's destinations. He says in there, choose life that you and your descendants may live. How many of you know that your choices now will have a ripple effect down through the ages. It's not just about you. The choices you make right now, the decisions you make are not just about you. They're about generations to come and building on that platform of things. You know, I believe with all my heart there are battles I face in my world as a, as a man, challenges I have, that I believe weren't my battles to fight. They were my father's and possibly his father's father and so on. But nobody has won those battles and they get passed down generation to generation. Why? Because we choose not to resist. We choose not to fight. We choose not to do. We choose not to be. We choose to make these choices that down the track we choose not to go to church anymore. And then we wonder when our children turn 18 why they don't want to go to church. I'm not saying that you know they've got to drag you. I'm, I'm just saying that the decisions that we make have ramifications down the track. I decide to finish school at 18 years of age and just go on the dole and be happy to just surf and get a dole check and I have no drive, no ambition to get ahead financially. I don't want to get a job, nothing. Then I have a child. Then I pass away and I've got children and I've got nothing left to leave them. My decisions had ramifications for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Our decisions shape our future. I am the sum total right now of the decisions that I have personally made. My life is like, I can't make excuses, I can't blame anybody else. I am the sum total of the choices I have made. Yes, some choices were made for me, but I made a choice on how I wanted to respond to those things. I made a choice on what I wanted to do with the hand I was dealt. I made the choices. And I'm standing here today as the sum total of the choices I've made in the past. My decisions of the past have shaped my destination in the future. And the decisions I make today, from this day on, will have a direct impact on the future and the destination that I end up on down the track. Anyone ever heard that song, Cats in the Cradle, old Cat Steven? What do you think he's singing about? What do you think he's singing about? A father who just kept making decisions to prioritise his work or prioritise this, prioritise that over and above relationship with his kid. And what happened? His kid grew up. And all of a sudden, the kid wants nothing to do with him. Why? Because he made decisions way back here that affected the destination that he ended up later on in life. It's a great song in terms of the message that it communicates. You know, in Deuteronomy twenty eight and twenty nine, before he gets to this climax of choose life, God does an interesting thing. He lays out these two pictures. In Deuteronomy twenty eight he says, If you obey the Lord and you serve him only, then here's what you'll get. You'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed going in, blessed going out, I'll bless your baskets, I'll bless your family. He lays out a picture, he paints a picture. He gives them a future, he paints a picture of a future of blessing. They're sitting there and they're hearing all this stuff and it's painting a picture in their head. And then he goes, and if you choose not to, here's a picture of what it's going to look like. You'll never have enough. You'll always struggle. You'll this, you'll that. And he, he paints these two portraits. And he puts those two portraits in front of Israel. And while they're looking at those two pictures, that's when he says, now choose. Which picture do you want? What do you want your future to look like? Because that picture will all come back to the choices that you make along the way. They will either point you to this picture of life over here or the choices you make will point you to this picture of death over here. He's deliberate about it. God deliberately paints this picture and tells them that these are the two options. And for your life, I wonder how many of us have thought about what we want our life to look like. What do you want your, uh, especially with young people, I like to challenge, do you know what your financial world, what do you want it to look like in 50 years' time? 40 years' time. Well, you know the decisions you're making now can either build towards that or push against that. What do you want your family life to be like when you've got small kids? What do you want your kids to look like when they get old? What relationship do you want with those kids? Well, the decisions you're making now are going to create that or create the opposite. I have a picture down the track i remember um i don't know if anyone's ever heard of phil baker he's has got a, a large church over in western australia i love some of his stuff but i went to a men's conference once and he he was asked about life on the road and the temptations you know of being a big name speaker and away from his wife and that a lot and you know it was a men's conference and he said this thing he said i've got a picture and he said and in my picture i see a, a massive big lawn with a big table I'm at one end of the table and my wife's at the other end of the table and along the side is all my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. And they're running around and they're playing and we're eating a feast and we're laughing and joking and talking about the future and talking about what the kids are doing and talking about the past and remember when. And he said, I've got this picture that I carry around in my head all the time. And whenever I'm away from home and I'm in a situation where temptation is knocking at the door, he said, I go back to that picture. And I realise... One bad choice. One bad choice. And I can lose that picture forever. I never forgot that story. And I've always tried to, best of my ability, to operate that way myself. Have a pitch, have a vision for your future. What do you want it to look like? You know, in Proverbs it says, without vision, without a prophetic dream, a picture, people perish. The actual translation of that says, people cast off restraint. People live without restraints. If there's no picture of what you want, then there's no roadway to get you there. So you just cast off restraint and you do whatever you want. Make whatever decisions your impulses tell you to make at the time. Whatever decision the crowd says to make. Whatever decision is most popular at the time, you just go along with that stuff. Make those choices. Cast restraint off. Or do you have a vision, a picture of what you want your life to look like? If you don't have one, please go to Deuteronomy 28. And read what God says about a blessed life. Make that your picture. Because it's way better than the alternative options. The last thing that, that verse shows us is that the choice is ours. Nobody else can make your choices for you. Nobody can make your choices for you. If you're sitting here today feeling like a victim, feeling like everybody else is making those choices, if other people are making the choices for you, it's because you have relinquished control. You. You have control over your life, your destiny, your purpose, where you want to end up, the person you want to be. You have control over that. Your world is the sum total of choices that have been made. Some were yours and some were others. Your future will be the same. It'll be the sum total of choices that will be made, some by you, some by others, but the ultimate decision is always going to rest with you. It's always going to come back to you. There's an old saying, uh goes something like this, You can you can't stop a bird landing on your head but you can stop him making a nest in your hair. Some things in life, you can't stop them happening to you. They're going to happen. But you don't have to carry them around. You can make a choice to get rid of them. Even though it may be painful, you can change and you can make the right choices. I read a story a few years back. We'll wrap it up now. It was in a magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. Anyone ever read that magazine? It used to be a magazine you would get. If you don't get it, let me encourage you. Get online, Voice of the Martyrs. Please subscribe. It's, it's going to give you a lot of stories and show you a lot of what the Lord is doing in countries that are less fortunate than ours. There are a lot of persecuted people. A lot of people could not do what we are doing this morning. They could not meet in a meeting in a room like this with, with, with advertisement out the front about it. They couldn't do this. If they did, they could have people walk in, take them away, shoot them and kill them. It's just the reality of the world that we live in. It's a reality we don't talk about a lot. It's a reality we don't see all the time, but it's real. So get a hold of it. Voice of the Martyrs, subscribe to it. You'll get some great information about what God is doing around the world. But I remember reading a story in a, in, in a few years back, when it was still in a magazine form about a pastor in China. And he was pastoring a church and he got caught pastoring a church. The authorities took him, his wife and his children down to the beach and they dug holes at low tide. And they dumped him, his wife and his two children in hold and buried them up to their neck at low tide. And they stood there. The soldiers stood there watching as the tide turned and the water started. coming. The pastor, the, 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 the father, was screaming, screaming, pleading with the soldiers, please, at least let my wife and my kids go. Please, please, let them go. Let them go. And they wouldn't respond. He was begging, tears streaming down his face. And the wife turned to him, as the waters came up, and she looked him in the eye and said, Darling, pull yourself together. We're about to go and meet Jesus. And then she led her husband and the children in a hymn as the water came up. Please don't think that you don't have a choice tonight. Please don't think that whatever you're going through, you don't have a choice. You do have a choice, and you have to make that choice. And when you make that choice, look up ahead. Is this choice leading me to life? Or is this choice going to lead me to death destruction? What do you want your life to look like in the future? What type of parent do you want to be? What type of partner do you want to be? What type of spouse do you want to be? What education do you want? What employment would you like to have? What do you want your financial world to look like? God's blessed life comes into existence in my world through a series of life-giving choices. Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord, that none of us in this room are victims. God, we thank you this morning, Father, that you give us the power to make choices. You give us the privilege, the honour of making choices, Father. You haven't created any of us to be robots that must do, that have to, You have given us free will and it's a blessing and it's a gift. And not only have you given us free will, but Father, we live in a country that allows us an expression of that free will as well, Father. We are very, very blessed people. And God, I just pray that as we uh, leave here this morning, as we go into the next week, that Father, we would be impressed by your Spirit to make life-giving choices. God, give us a vision of the future. Give us a vision, something to to look at down the track and go, this is what a blessed life looks like. This is what the life of God looks like when it's walking around in my human skin. And God, give us the courage to make the decisions that we need to make to get us there. God, as tough and as hard and as difficult at times as those decisions may be, Holy Spirit, we pray you would give us the guts to make those decisions and to see the life of God come to fruition in our own words. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would, uh, you would uh, God, not let this word disappear. Don't let us get too busy and too worried about the rest of life. Walk out of here and go, that was nice and that's the end of it, Father. But Holy Spirit, plant this deep in the soil of our spirit. Let it germinate and continue, Father, to conform us into the image of your son, Jesus. We ask this this morning in your name. Amen.